Okay, thank you for that beautiful question. Um, I, I think people seek out the China market for so many different reasons. Um, um, again, to your question, what would you say is the most pressing problem your clients have on the China market? Before I give like sort of a sweeping um, take on this, I, I really just want to point out that um, people seek out the China market for so many different reasons. You might be seeking the China as an export brand. Um, you have a an existing product, say your client from the U.S. and you have, I don't know, skincare, the baby line, and you want to sell in the Chinese market. So you're <laughs> you have pressing different sets of of needs, um, which I, I would love, I, again, I would love to just, you know, spiral through um, some of these different case studies and depending again, because I, I know that people sit at here have different ideas, um, they have different, you know, industries, which is, which is part of, I mean, this is just the chunk of what I do. It's, it's just brand development and strategy for a lot of these, these uh, different solutions for different tech industries right for the health industry for education for uh, manufacturing for logistics for trade um, we also have a trading company well important export supply chain management firm um, six years old now in china um, um, so so different industries entertainment you know sports and entertainment there you have different clients like that um, so to your question, I'm going to give, I'm just going to give a, a, a sweeping pass, which is what is the most pressing problem your clients have on the China market? I would sort of think that they have maybe about five to six pressing problems. I mean, um, I think the first, the very big one is the enormity of the market itself. This is, we're talking a 1.4 billion people market. Um, this by far, I think it's the main attraction. Um, uh, for investors, this is, this is just that purchasing power. And you, you, you also understand that the, the Chinese market in terms of, uh, of netizens it's by far the largest in the world um i think right now 90 percent of, of of chinese are online if not 95. so i'm talking you know different uh prototype uh, sorry no different uh what's the word um so different demographics there's this particular word that i wanted to use um so there's different demographics. Let's just use that one. So, so you have, you know, what are you, what are you looking at? Are you looking at mid-income women or you're looking at mid-income men? Are you looking at a, uh, the students, the category of students in China? Are you looking at older Chinese? Are you looking at uh, millennials? Are you looking at you know, millennials, 90s, that 90s set, or are you looking at more so X generation, Z generation? So again, this is, this is, this all trickles down into marketing, but it, it's, it's just, this is just an enormous challenge, you know, to be able to find 
your right target customers within this 1.4 billion mix. Um, and to also understand that these, these, these targeted customers of yours in the Chinese market are not your, your typical, you know, customer base. They're not American. If you're American, they're not Americans. If you're British, they're not Brits. If you're from Africa, they're not Africans. Um, they're not Europeans. Like, you cannot ever curate your solution to what these, to what your Chinese friends or your Chinese clients, sorry, the way you did it in your existing market, it, it's just not going to work. And I, and I feel like that's one of, that's the, I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of the most pressing, um, the most pressing issues, you know, concerning this, because then I was talking about how you need to, you need signification, you need to signify your, your brand with Chinese characters, if I could say that, you know what I mean? It's like, you have to give it that twist. Um, I'm reminded, is it, is it Starbucks? Yeah, it's, I think, I think Starbucks, when Starbucks started in China, it, 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 it had to take on this Chinese characteristics that I'm talking about. And I remember, um, oh God, I, I, I need to, to be able to, to find this in my head. Okay. Yeah, I got it. So I think this was. Again, I think I have to really describe to you what signification is. It's just a process by which, you know, known Chinese societies or brands come under the influence of Chinese culture, Chinese norms, Chinese value systems. You know, it's, it's almost like it's an acculturation, like it's you're assimilating or adapting and adjusting to gain market appeal and win market share. That's what we mean by signification. In other words, it's just localizing your brand, you know, to fit the market. Um, and I'm reminded of this slang that white collar Chinese used to have when, you know, that when Starbucks came in and there was that obsession for, for Starbucks um, because Starbucks embodied, you know, these Chinese characteristics that we're talking about um, instead of remaining, instead of just remaining a purely American brand, they were able to replace, you know, tea, which is, which is a very strong, deep rooted and seated culture for any, I, I think this is an Eastern thing for, for Chinese to, to that matter. Like tea has been the beverage for years and years and years. I mean, if you watch like ancient Chinese movies, you find, you know, the, the emperors, you know, just gagging on tea. Would you gag on tea or you gag on wine? <laughs> I think it would, you would, you would down on tea. Well, it's not really downing. It's just, they would, they would, it's, 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 it's rather tea instead of like wine. I, I think for the most part, I, I've learned about Chinese. I mean, I've, I've had experience with, with Chinese, um, tea culture, especially when you're doing business and, and, and for one, I don't drink alcohol. So uh, my Chinese partners would just like serve me endless, endless cups of tea. I would drink and go pee. <laughs> so it's, it's just, you know, tea and tea and tea. So I remember this slang that has been used for a very long time. 
um, on the China market. Oh, oh well, concerning Starbucks, like white collar Chinese, and they would say, 如果我不在办公室，我就在星巴克。如果没有，我正在去星巴克的路上， something like that. I, I don't, I'm not really sounding it rightly, but it's just to say that if you do not, if I'm not in the office, 如果我不在办公室。if I'm not in the office, 我就在星巴克. It's like, I am at, at Starbucks. So, but if you don't find me in Starbucks, 如果没有我正在去星巴克的路上. So, so if you cannot find me, then, if you cannot find me in, in Starbucks, then you definitely would find me on my way to Starbucks. I think this is like a classic example. I mean, so many Western brands have used this, um, giving it that twist. Um, okay, so, so, so in the case of, you know, let's just narrow it down to, you know, maybe let's choose like African coffee. You would have to Sinophy it for the most part give it some so yes it, it is from africa the exoticness of it that's and and chinese customers want to learn about this but they want to learn it with their own flair inside of it it's like i'm reminded of this case where um there was this client my colleague one of my colleagues was talking to me about about it and they they had come and they they had come to china and wanted to do packaging for for their product and instead of instead of doing it the Chinese way, they took on the Western way, which was, I'm just gonna put in this little item that I'm selling in a huge box, and then that's gonna be delivered to the Chinese. So it was really counterintuitive because when the Chinese saw the box, and then you know that that when they saw the the the, the huge box, they just you know expectations started building up. It's like what could be in this box, like something very expensive, a treasure, um, this company really thinks of us as special. And then, so they would unveil the box and see this tiny little, this tiny little um, um, product. And that was like, what? We've been tricked. This is outrageous. This is a no-no. How, how can we be so deceived by this brand? So you see the, 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 the brand wanted to, it's like you're looking for ways to present it, but you don't understand like cultural uh, dynamics, like how, what, what are some of these contexts? What do they mean to, to these people, right? It's, 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 it's just, again, you get the point. I need to move on to the next thing. So what would you say is the most pressing problem your clients have on the China market? Apart from the fact that it's, it's enormously enormous, <laughs> the second part would be China's rich historic past. These guys have 5,000 years of, of, of historicity and they've done an amazing, amazing, amazing job of, of, of preserving this 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 historicity you you have never 
you've I, I mean I've never seen a race I mean I'm African we 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 have we have a way that we've always passed down our history and that was like mostly word of mouth stories you know some of the times we have the the relics that are still ex in existence you know some of those relics are there apart from the fact that we also suffered a lot of of you know imperialism and you know that colonization took away a lot of you know our artifacts and and all whatnot the Chinese have really done a good job of preserving um, preserving this this historicity so much so that it's not it's not you hearing it but you can really still experience it you can see like uh, 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 the terracotta right you can see you can still see that you can see see the the China wall right you can see that wall you can see um, Tiananmen you can see either this sometimes I will go across I will walk in China it just feels really ancient it just feels like you're living it's like you went back in time it has that feel and Chinese are very proud of their history and they point it out right they start learning it from from way when they're small and they deduce a lot of lessons from them to apply it in their business in their, with their business relationships and you know they contextualize it within in in their daily lives so and this is it, right? So Chinese historians have done a very good job of providing a record of the names of all the emperors from the first, you know, the Xia dynasty, right up to the last Pui dynasty, right? So it's like they've, they've done an amazing job. So for us as foreigners, this is, this is a challenge because then it presents an incomprehensibility in your mind. Um, um because again this is this is what i say all the times you it's it's rude one of the things is first of all it's very rude to get on a new market and you do not want to learn about their historicity their historical origins ideas that have developed over time into concepts and practices and values that these people leave on a day-to-day -day basis right so that, that's what makes up their identity. That's the Chinese essence and the uniqueness. How Chinese see themselves and how they want you to be, and how they want you to see them. So, so this is, you, you, so it presents, it, it's very rude for you to get on a market and you, you throw shade on some of these things or you ignore it. I feel like it's, it's very rude. It's not respectful at all. At all. Um, and, 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 and it's not wise from the stance of good businessmen sportships. I remember we had this deal in Venezuela uh, before the COVID. Actually, the COVID uh, slowed down that deal. There was an oil deal that we had in Venezuela with you know, the Nigerian Abuja government. Um, uh, 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 sort of. So, 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 so um, I had to go back and learn, do my homework on Venezuela as a people their past, the struggles that they have defining their relationship with the American government, you know, so we could be able to appropriate our investment strategies. You sort of understand what I mean. So historicity is, is very important, not only for just being respectful and to show face, 
to your host country, it is also very primordial for good businessman spotship. You just have to know about your host country. Imagine, imagine someone coming into, into Africa and not even wanting to care about our past as a people. You know, understanding why we are today what we are, you know. It, it, it is, I feel like you would not be able to make informed judgment about, about the people that you want to, you, you say in quote, that you want to service, you know, with your brand. So these are some of the things to help you to then strategize and and appreciate and also empathize with your your Chinese counterparts. So that is a problem because their their historicity is is enormous. But on the Beyond Nihau um, project, we've been able to sort of like downsize Chinese history in in like probably like forty five minutes, where you get. You, I mean, this is, again, you can never get enough of Chinese history. I feel like it has twists, it has turns, it has lessons, it has moments of rebels, and it has all these different, you know, takes, uh, twists to it. Um, you would have to still be an ongoing student for, for that. But if you wanted like a quick snapshot to sort of give you a framework on how to understand it, we got you with, with I think, a season one on our Beyond How. Um, um, project um, to, 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 to get you covered. So, yeah. So everything from the birth of China, you know, ancient China, imperial China, the dynasties and, and the line of hereditary rulers of the country. And then you have the century of humiliation and then modern day China. So it sort of gives you, it sort of steps you in, you know, on, on your journey to learning that, which is, I, I can't stress enough how important this is for you to know how your counterparts have culturally, historically evolved as a people. Okay, without further ado, and talking my head off, <laughs> one of the other reasons why I think uh, poses a pressing problem to my clients on the China market is language barrier and communication distance. I feel like I can't speak enough of this, Especially when you come in and you have like zero Chinese, you don't understand that Chinese is a very contextual language. Um, it's not straightforward like your ABC. I mean, one character in China could take you just like one character or one, so let's just say characters and letters, right? Just one of those characters. Um, you have, I think you have over 50,000 of them. I mean the Chinese alphabet. Let's let's put it in this way. I'm not a linguist, but just just to help you sort of situate everything, we have 26 alphabets. Instead of letters, Chinese have characters, and they have over 50,000 of those characters. That's why you have like traditional Chinese, and then you have simplified Chinese for the most part. Sort of, would you say like it's old British English, and then it's like modern day English? I, I don't think so. But 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 so it's it's exhaustive. Like it's just vast. Even Chinese will tell you that they do not know. Have they've not covered everything on their language. I think they use just about like five thousand of those characters or if, if it's ten thousand. Even if it's ten thousand, my goodness, it's enormous. I remember 
you know, just watching like TV in China, it's they they always would have to do this subtitling because again, you know, you know the diversity within within China, and I and I tell people all the time, I've not seen a most, I've not seen democracy actually play out in its fullness except in China. I tell people this and they're like, oh, isn't that a communist party? It is. It, or isn't that a communist government? It is, but I there is a lot of democracy within their within their premise. It's because China has fifty-five ethnicities. I mean, you're talking Han, you're talking different ethnicities. There's there's fifty-five others apart from the Han, which are the majority. But the government, the way the government rules, the way the government, uh, uh, you know, the way the government enacts like its policies. There's 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 governments that are, are federal. There's governments that have pure autonomy. There is there's just different ways of actually governing. It's just so many ways, and it, it is amazing for people who do not know this to behold how diversified their government is. And for a long time, you've not heard like um, inside tensions and stuff. You know, you've not had like, I would say it's almost like racial, racial tensions. You, you've not had that. But Chinese have like 55 ethnicities and their government has been able to like manage this all, all the way. So I would say that language barrier and barrier and communication distance just innovates a lot of foreigners because they can, they have a hard time understanding their Chinese partners. Um, these Chinese partners mostly Chinese. The language is poetry in a, in, a, in a way. So one word or sentence could mean so many other things. And so how then do you negotiate and engage with your Chinese? counterparts like what kinds of tactics do you use how do you empathize with your own perspectives and how do you strategize you know how do you react um sorry how would they react and and what are their own interests you know what's the moral the the morale behind you know their arguments and your own what what is what is it what you know so 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 if if you cannot if you cannot do this then you don't have optimal outcome for for whatever you're trying to do with your chinese partners so this is huge 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 so i would say that um, as a remedy you have to be able to to learn chinese that's the first place to go and I'll say this a lot to to students who probably envisage that they would own businesses someday in china just, just stop learning, taking on international trade and taking on um, all of those other different majors. If you want to do business, learn the language. You're going to learn international trade by doing it, not by studying it. I say this all the time. I, I learned like this. Instead of you paying that tuition fee to learn, oh, what's international trade? International trade is, <laughs> um, you know, instead of you defining all of these different contexts, uh, concepts, it's, it's, it's a lot better. Save your money, get on the market, you know, register a business and start doing one-on-ones. Talk with the Chinese, go with them on business deals, engage with them. 
this makes more sense. So learning Chinese, it's primordial. If you want to go do international trade, please go to some university in the UK. Go to some university. This is, again, this is purely my own, this is just my opinion. You know what I mean? Because, again, I'm not, I'm not coming down. Please, I have to say this. I'm not saying anything against, you know, the education system. I feel like um, uh, education in China has offered a lot of opportunities for, for, for people who have never, you know, had... I mean, I was a I was a beneficiary of this as well. I mean, I didn't go on scholarship, but I've been in Chinese classes. For me, it was more um, it was more of that Chineseness that I wanted to see. It's I, if you're doing a major, if you want to do your major in in Chinese, that would make sense. If you're doing international trade in Chinese, that would make sense. But if you're doing international trade in English, thought by Chinese pro professor. Man, I, I don't feel like it's too strong. You know, it's better you go to the meat and the, the meat and the bone of, of the language itself and encounter it that way. Because so many things would get missing if you don't know the language. So many things just fall down the cracks because of the language. It's, you have to be able to take that on. I know that some of you would do these majors take on language but again it's just a side thing it's not like your main focus i would rather take on chinese if i were you know i'm speaking to myself like eight years ago i would have just done chinese for the most part i will you know instead of doing international trade which anyways i i i didn't really find that you know i didn't it didn't make sense because then you would not learn about how the Chinese have, no one's gonna teach you all of those secrets on how they've become what they are on the, the economic scene today, the second largest economy. You know, you're not gonna learn that in the classroom. That's the truth. You're gonna learn that on the streets. You're gonna learn that on the field. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, so that's the, that's the third one you know, um, that I think that would be like one of the most innovating um, um, problems my clients have on the Chinese market. So most of the times we do like the communication for them. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if, if for you it's just, you know, making the money, if it's a transactional process for you, it's still fine. The Chinese are not going to be angry with you. Be like, oh, you're here making money. You're not even learning the culture. You're not even learning about the people. Well, no, they're they're not like that. I think you making an effort to with them makes a lot more sense. Um, for the most part. But if you cannot do that because you just are not that kind of person, then you, of course you're going to have to hire partners you know, to work, to, to do, to close deals for you, and then you, you make your back and you, your life moves on smoothly. All right, so the fourth issue I would think is... Is... Um, I think it really even ties down to one of the points that I was making, you know, in the last issue that I, I find that's pressing with my clients which is how to negotiate and engage with with the Chinese 
um, what are the necessary tactics and how do you empathize? How do you see the Chinese perspectives and context for what they are? You know, what's the way that you negotiate so that you have the optimal outcome? I just want to put this out here once and for all. China is hugely misunderstood by known Chinese. This is very clear. Go on LinkedIn, for example, you're going to see a couple of trolls against China, the trade war with the US, COVID-19, propaganda against them, um, just pure shade. You know what I mean? Um, rightfully so or not, you know what I mean? There is just a lot of mis, you know, there's ill comprehension. And this is why we do what we do, because it's, it helps you to unlayer China. It's, it's like you have to peel through political layers. You have to pull through um, finance and economic layers. You have to pull through historicity. You have to peel out all of these different layers to be able to understand these people. You cannot, you cannot make your decisions off of CNN or some, or again, this is purely not the CNN thing I'm trying to like comment at, but I'm just saying that you cannot really understand these people from Western media, especially when that Western media is, is biased. I think you should learn about China. I think I recommend South China Morning Post. I feel like that's one of the most reliable sources that you can learn of China. You can really hear like a, a, a neutral, you can have a neutral tone on, on China. Um, <laughs> gosh, I, I remember when I was leaving um, Cameroon for, for, for China, um, I think a family friend cornered me and said that uh, she's heard that um, in, in, in China, people will go there only to end up with, with fridges. They come back with like a, a refrigerator, actually. That's the only thing. And she was like, what in the world are you going to do there? And here we are, eight years after. <laughs> you know, so those, those kinds of misconceptions and you know what people people what people believe about a certain people it's it's almost like wait you don't even have like firsthand experience with these people how would you know that this is the truth you need to try it out for yourself so with my clients for those who are outside they have this this misunderstanding for those who are inside they sort of don't have like an objective view on you know some of the problems that they have, you know, the racial problems that we may have in China as foreigners. You know, again, you have to know you you have to know that China has never had experience with foreigners before. It's just like twenty years old in, within that, and they've never had like a KKK before. Um, so so it's 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 very novel it's it's a novelty for them it's just something that so 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 
I, I hope you guys can, can fully understand um, what I mean here. Um, it's just, I, I just beg for people to actually have some material on how the CPC works. On you know, this is a country that this is this is you know, this is um, a power that has been able to alleviate millions and millions of Chinese out of poverty. We've, we in Africa here, we've, we've, we've suffered for years and years, but we, we have so many people still living under a dollar. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, there's still all of these things that there's this, I say that there's a lot in appreciation. Cause I, I've been, you know, I've been in, you know, I've been in Africa and for the most part, uh, there is there's a lot of misunderstanding. Oh goodness! Sometimes I don't even know where to start talking. You know, and I just would just close up the discussion. It's like, have you ever been to China? No. Um, when when do you plan on going? Okay, when you go, and then you've been there for like five years. We're gonna have a conversation. Because <laughs> then we we can't even like we can't go at it. We just cannot go at it. I'm very sorry that we can't. Because it's going to be a rant, it's just going to be rambles, it's not going to be fixated on anything intellectual or, you know, or that. So, uh, so, so that's, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the fourth. And then I would end by saying that one of the things that my clients would suffer if they didn't have me was how to thrive on the China market. That by far is the greatest of all. You could register all these companies you want. They become shelf companies at the end of the day. I remember myself, because I was just dying to get out of school, and then this opportunity of actually um, using my class project and becoming like this business mogul um, was very enticing for me. And so I did everything humanly possible at the time. I mean, the market was not as as flexible as it is today i would point that out like really hard because i remember um back in the day i had to even do like this video for the chinese government to choose me to own a business because i was um and i don't want this to be taken as racially or something i was an african woman you know so so the stakes were the barriers were so high most of those barriers are not like like they're, they're down to nothing. But back in the day, I had to do a video to explain myself and actually then show myself signing the documents. Then after that, I was called upon to re-sign the documents again. And I was sent back home to get, you know, my documentation from home to own a business in China. Today, that's not, that no longer exists. Actually, you could literally complete your business registration in couple weeks if not two <laughs> without ever being in China so um, depends again I don't want to say that that's the norm for everyone it just depends on your specific context but it's it's roughly about there uh, for the most part so I remember having I was just like oh my god if I just register my business you know this is very simple simplistic ways of, of thinking is like um if i could just register my business 
that would be it. You know, that would be it. I would have made it. Um, I would be so relieved. Um, I would not have to deal with sitting in the classroom and be bored from lectures that I didn't even want to be there in the first place. I would just be so free to go on and do what I want to do. Um, so, um, so all of that came to fruition, right? I, I had so many different battles that I, I overcame. Uh, at that time, um, I remember even the immigration in, in the city that I was was looking for me because I was I was within the period of actually like swapping my visa over from student to to work, and they were already like looking for me there within the immigration, and it's like these are cases that are you know, so it it was a tough battle, and I made it, and I was like oh my. I was just basking in the relief of setting up a company. Um, then, boom, <laughs> I was met with the lack of knowledge of how to run one, you know, how to run operations, how to pay government taxes, <laughs> how not to risk having my business be blacklisted or shut down, how to find leads for my business, how to hire staff, how to fund the business from my pockets, etc., etc. Uh, I think that's where the real problem is. So much so that um, I think this is early on this year we started a um, um, an incubator program just to help newbie entrepreneurs under 35 to to learn how to do business on the China market. So we would help them register their companies, and then we would provide funding. We provide a seed for them to be able then to start off to kickstart their business and we show them how you do taxes how to get clients how to do marketing how to you know we teach them all of these things at the time when i started zero actually i think that we are one of the few who are doing this in china because we've noticed over the years in our practice that it's not just enough to register businesses for a lot of you know young and upcoming entrepreneurs it's not enough anymore because you register these companies, they end, up, they end up years, I mean years, like four years after they still don't know how to pay taxes. You see what I mean? Um, five years after they still don't know how to do, they still don't have how, how to get leads. They don't know how to market. They don't know how to scale the business. That's another part. That's just another whole other game because I mean, we are scaled now in Africa. We, we are two years down in Africa. Um, having been on the, the market for the China market for eight years and we just uh, grown some of you know our offers there and the, the, the African market was calling preferably um, so a lot of our, our, our work is still uh, of course the companies are still running uh, but it has presence now in in, in, in Africa specifically um, Central Africa and Western uh, Nigeria for, for for the most part so um, yeah, I think that's that's by far one of the hardest ever is how do you then operate and succeed on the China market? How do you keep the money coming in? How do you do that as a service business, as a trading company, as a manufacturing company? How do you do that? I feel like that's where I come in.
because then there's a lot of hand holding that you have to do by just you know met by just you know a reason of of tenure on the market there's a lot that we know ahead of our clients and uh we we serve as, as guides um to solve those problems all right so again i talked about how we've created the incubator scenario to support a lot of these these upcoming businesses and yeah I hope I, I exhausted this, this question on, you know, what are the most pressing problems your clients have on the China market? I think I exhausted those. Um, Phil, I, I hope your, your question has been answered. Thank you. <laughs> yes, 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 you're welcome. And, and, and so just, just, just to add up to what I, I, I was saying earlier on, these are some of the reasons why we've started, we, we're doing the Beyond Nihao project because um, then we're letting people know that it's just not enough for you to have visited China for, for a couple years and probably you did Tai Chi with, on the street with some Chinese um, <laughs> or you, you tried dumplings or you visited Chongqing and Chengdu and Beijing or you visited old museums and somehow you you think you know quite a lot about China. No, that's like what we call surface level China. Um, China is a lot. There's just a lot of mysteries. There's layers of complexities like I've talked about, beautiful nuances that... Um, you need to crack before you can thrive on that market. It's just, that's the way it is. That's the way that market is. Um, so how do, how do you as a foreign investor understand these nuances? How do you strategize to enter as a pro and penetrate to then quadruple your results in the China market without making expensive, hard-earned money mistakes. You need beyond Nihao. That's why we started this project. It's, 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 it's just now you being able to see China from a surface level. It is, it is deeper than that. And I mean, that's our objective, um, pre-entry market per entry. Um, post-entry and then your exit strategy. These are some of the things that we talk about in depth. We have three seasons um, on the Beyond How podcast, which is essentially us decoding the China market for a lot of you know the foreign investors that are coming behind us. And a lot of season one just involves helping people to grasp you know what Chinese identity is and historicity and fully understanding that the China business environment and then you know feasibility of your project on the china market very important some people want to come into those markets without doing research red flag red flag recipe for for for, for, for failure understanding the prc and the policies and how to interpret uh policies and um and to stay compliance um then how to understand like corporate structure, what investment locations and all of that. So these are, these are some things, how to manage your relationship with the Chinese government. These are important, right? 
how, what is your brand proposition and your business, your value proposition for the Chinese market. These are things that we discuss about in season one and season two has to help you go through, you know, understanding how the Commerce Bureau works and types of incorporation and, and you know, we, we do a lot of case studies there too, you know, as an expert brand, as a consulting firm, as a trading company, how does it work, you know? So, so this is like hardcore practicality, you know what I mean? So it's, it's like you have these case studies, you have how to obtain like special licenses besides your license, you know, approval permits and, you know, in certain industries. We talk about that too on season two of the Beyond Yihau podcast or project. And season, season three is mostly um, about you, it's about post-incorporation. Then we're talking taxes, we're talking bookkeeping and, and auditing and, and, and insurance and assurance. We're talking about how to recruit HR, risk management, we're talking um, business event organizations and media and promotion, that's PR for the most part, e-commerce, um, support for entrepreneurship, on your 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 journey as as a business owner in China, we're talking how to how to how to deal with mental health <laughs> because some of this these these are these are real because again you you remember that getting to a foreign market is a very transcendental um, I I think I referred to this before it's it's very it's a very transcendental um, embarkment that you are getting on so. There is there is a lot that has to do with your emotions, right? So you have to learn, you know, secrets of how to last long on the China market. I mean, emotional intelligence, how to negotiate and do engagements with the Chinese, you know, racial issues, right? You have to be able to just have an understanding on these things. Um, and of course, you know, how to stay your visa work and how to process that because, um, Usually, when you're incorporated in the China market, the, the Chinese government gives you um, roughly about 20 to 30 years to be in that market. So you constantly, you have the right to enter that market whenever you want to enter and to exit whenever you have to exit. So these are some of the perks, right? And we're, we're decoding, the beyond ni hao is just to decode the essence of this market. It's to tell you that just because you can say ni hao doesn't mean that you understand the China market. I remember coming back to Africa, it's like, and I would show people my, my, my work card, you know, the investor work card that I have from China, and people would be like, oh, China, ni hao, and ni hao. I'm like, you guys, it's not about ni hao. It's a lot deeper than that. It's just a lot deeper. Okay, so even if we had to, under, just to understand marketing on the China market, you know that we're getting into intricacies like um, different social media platforms that don't even exist in your in your your in your, your current market. There's no Facebook. There's no Google. <laughs> there's no um, IG. You have Pinduoduo. You have Taobao. You have Alibaba. You have Tmall. You have GD.com. GD.com. You have all these different platforms. How do you have WeChat? Of course. You have mini programs in WeChat. How do you understand all of these nuances? It's a different world in its um, different strategies. And yeah, there we go. 
So I hope I answered your question. And uh, those of you who are interested in you know, signing up on the Beyond Nihau uh, project, it's, it's a way that we're, we're, we're encouraging um, a lot of our investors to stop you know, making the wrong decisions when they're entering China market. It's like to stop the malpractice, um, to curb anxiety and uncertainty um, because of lack of understanding, you know, that's the reason why we started this project. I hope I answered your question. Thank you again. I have to stop here. I feel like I've spoken for over like, yeah, 48 minutes. <laughs> okay, thank you.